Yeah, see, this is why you can't save 15 grand in a year. <laughs> Still one of my favorite stories. It's only when Aussie went, you spent 15 grand on frivolous, frivolous things. 15 grand in a year on frivolous, frivolous <laughs> things. <laughs> Just, just the image of like Mike in the bedroom from Big, yeah, I know. <laughs> going up and down his piano before his shift. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm drinking a Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. <laughs> and this week we embark on a new season as each one of the Films on Trial gang will put on trial one of their guilty pleasure movies. And we kick things off with Dave and his pick, which is what dreams may come uh, now quickly i've got a highbrow joke or a lowbrow joke which one do you guys want lowbrow uh, you mean which one we want first right yeah they're both lowbrow <laughs> let's, do let's go highbrow uh, so i've said is it romanticism or is it realism for example is it casper david friedrich or is it casper van dien <laughs> right that's highbrow it is and i've got my lowbrow one uh is it what dreams may come, or is it? Hey, you know what? Don't even finish it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. The, the, the low brow gets the laugh, so I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I think I think I might edit a little bit of that out, though. Essentially, will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? So let's find out. But before we do, let's talk about our last trial, which was the culmination of our blockbuster season as we put the 2022 action-adventure hit Top Gun Maverick on trial. Dave, you judged that trial and you deemed that the film should be placed on the hit list. You've since gone away and you've watched the film. So what do you think? Did you make the right call, yes or no? Uh, yes. No, I'm happy with the decision on that one. It's it's better than it has any right to be, if you know what I mean. It shouldn't have been that entertaining. It shouldn't have been that good. It shouldn't have had the emotional punch it had, you know, with the Val Kilmer cameo mm -hmm. and things like that. It was just, in all aspects, better than we thought it was going to be. I think it's one of those films you roll your eyes when you hear, oh, Top Gun 2. Right, okay, this this will be good. Uh, but you know what? They, they proved the naysayers wrong, and they produced one of the best action films of, of yesteryear. So yeah, fair play. I, I stand by the judgment. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Dave. Now on to this week's trial, which, as I said at the beginning, start of our new season, Guilty Pleasures. Dave, you're first up with What Dreams May Come. Why did you pick this film? Well, I'm not sure I call it a guilty pleasure, but I picked this film because it's it's kind of got a reputation that precedes it as being one of the most polarizing films of the 90s, possibly of, of the like the last couple of decades. I, I think of what dreams might come, and I remember the Family Guy bit, you know, where Peter goes in to buy a copy of Roadhouse, and the guy behind the counter says to him, oh, and you can have a, a free copy of what dreams may come as well. He's like, no, thank you. It, are you sure? It's free. It's a free copy of what dreams may come. If that film even touches Roadhouse, I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear jokes like that, that. A lot of people 
make fun of what dreams may come. There are a lot of jokes out there at its expense. And you know what? When you break it down, you actually rewatch the film. I think everyone's just jumping on the bandwagon and sticking the knife into what dreams may come. I think it's become a bit of a punching bag and undeservedly so. So I thought we could have a debate in typical films on trial style and we can put this to rest once and for all assuming anyone ever actually listens to our podcast but those who do for them the debate will be settled and we can decide is this reputation fair or you know are people being a bit harsh what dreams may come that's fine brilliant thank you very much for that summary there dave okay on to the roles then uh and all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random apart from of course dave your role as the defense and your role is to try and put it on the hit list and dave you are well what you'll find out now i have picked uh I found it quite difficult to come up with insults this week. So I've gone with Robin Williams characters. So Dave, you're just like Robin Williams character, Alan Parrish from Jumanji. His clothes, his music tastes, and essentially everything else about him suggests that he has been frozen in time for the past 30 years. Yeah, yeah I knew where that was going as soon as you said it. <laughs> <laughs> and joining Dave is Ozzy. And Ozzy is just like Robin Williams character, Mork from Mork and Mindy. He dresses like a clown pimp. <laughs> <laughs> clown pimp. That is. Are you talking about that polka dot suit that is, he's got? Is that a pimp for clowns? Or I was wondering this as well. Yeah. I think it's a bit of both, to be honest, man. I think <laughs> you've got such an eclectic taste and uh, fashion sense that it could be Good both. Either. Yeah. <laughs> now, acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shoot list is me. And I'm just like Robin Williams' character, Jack, from the film. Jack, the body of a man and the brain of a child. <laughs> and joining me will be Joel. And Joel is just like the genie from Aladdin. Sardonic, pantsless, and prone to sitting off for long periods of time. <laughs> and if you rub me, I'll make your dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. However, these may or may not be their real opinions. So do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really think. And in the role of judge, who has the most important role here and has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, is Alex. And Alex is just like Robin Williams' character, Sean McGuire from Goodwill Hunting. An incredibly inspiring teacher and mentor who looks like he got dressed in the dark in a charity shop. Oh, thanks, Kev. <laughs> One of your nicest ones. <laughs> now, before we kick things off, I think that we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. So here what we do is we read off the synopsis in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. It's I'm going to say that's landed on Dave, that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's close enough, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's quite appropriate <clears throat> considering it's your pick, Dave. And uh, yeah, how would we like Dave to read out this synopsis then? Do you max one side off? My max, you're the, the max one, si no, you're the one with the max one side off. No, you're the one with the max one side off. I can have a go at max one side off, but it's... A it's, who else? Who else is there? About, oh, uh, oh, no, 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 no. Robin oh. Williams, but as Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should save that for Mrs. Doubtfire. 
Uh, I, I can have a good... It's going to be a terrible impression either way. So it's either Max von Sydow, a terrible Max von Sydow, or a terrible Robin Williams. Why don't you do your terrible Robin Williams and then Alex can do his terrible Max von Sydow? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I've, done my, I've, I've done my great bat Max von Sydow. It's time for someone else. Okay, I'll, I'll try the first sentence as Robin Williams. I'll try the second sentence as Max von Sydow. That's like... <laughs> Oh, Chris Nielsen dies in an accident and enters heaven. But when he discovers that his beloved wife, Annie, has killed herself out of grief over the loss, he embarks on an afterlife adventure to reunite with her. Oh my Your God. terrible Holy is so much better than Amazing. any of ours, Dave. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, if good. Max von Sydow did, like, action porn, that is exactly <laughs> what it's like. You know, I wish he was still with us so he could. <laughs> oh man that was incredible that was incredible well thank you very much for that dave uh, alex would you like to please kick off proceedings yeah very excited you know i over the years have heard of what dreams may come it just you know it, it got quite a lot of plaudits for looking very beautiful i remember the posters and things like that always had an interesting premise never quite got round to seeing it and uh yeah like dave said i did hear some bad things but wasn't sure if that was true or not so i'm in a good position to judge and uh, Dave, do you want to kick things off? Uh, tell me why Why should it be in heaven? Oh, we're condemning it to heaven or hell, hell now, not just uh, guilty or not guilty. That's what we're doing. <laughs> okay, so what you got here is What Dreams May Come, made in 1998. It is directed by Vincent Ward. He's, he's made other films like Map of the Human Heart and River Queen. Nothing particularly well known. This is probably the one he's best known for. But he has made a bit of a name for himself as an artist, as well as being a filmmaker. Uh, it's based on the 1978 novel by Richard Matheson, What Dreams May Come. You know, the same guy who did I Am Legend and, and other such film, uh, books as those. Uh, and it was adapted for the screen by Ronald Bass, who adapted Rain Man for the screen, won an Oscar for that. Uh, as you say, it got a lot of plaudits for its visual effects, which I'm sure we'll go into later. Uh, it won an Oscar for Best Visual Effects. It was nominated for Best Production Design. Uh, the music was done by Michael Kamen, so they got a great score going on here as well. The film concerns uh that your main character chris nielsen played by robin williams who dies in an accident now his two children have already predeceased him having also died in accidents themselves and this leaves his wife on earth widowed and having lost her children as well and the first part of the film basically deals with him getting the grips with this afterlife this this sort of representation of heaven for him it at first appears like a place of comfort for him, his wife being an artist, it looks at first like one of her paintings. Like it's this uh, this valley in Switzerland where they met and she's painted that. And it's kind of like these, he's in the oil canvas and he's wandering around this beautiful landscape. And it's like it's made out of oils and acrylics. And it's beautiful. It's, it's really well done. Uh, and then the second half of the film takes a darker turn after his wife, Annie, uh, kills herself out of grief with all the loss that she's suffered. Uh, she takes her own life and is... I was going to say condemned to hell, but that's actually not the word to use. As the line is said in the film, it's not a punishment. There is no judgment here. Hell is your, your life gone wrong. You know, you are so defeated and so wrapped up in the melancholy of your life that you can't escape it even in death. So it's not a punishment as such, which I was relieved to hear. Uh, but it is more of a, it, it's just the natural order of things. You do wind up in an unpleasant place because of how your life panned out. And he descends into hell, essentially try and rescue her and bring her to a more pleasant afterlife, be what that may come. If, if that is uh, if that is heaven, or there is an option to reincarnate as well, which they are given. So he's like, maybe that could be on the cards. Either way, we're talking about a man who leaves heaven 
to descend into hell to rescue the woman he loves. And it is, it's kind of the Orpheus and Eurydice sort of story. There are a lot of comparisons to that. But also, like, he, he sums it, Robin Williams' character sums it up, you know, she's a woman so wonderful, a man would shun heaven just to spend time with her. You know, it's a, it's kind of a sweet love story that goes on there. Very melancholy, as you can imagine. It's got a lot of emotional resonance, a lot of punch going on here. And one of the things it's best known for with its visuals and with this sort of the theme that it's trying to present is its depiction of the afterlife. That is what a lot of people talk about when they think about this, because it wasn't like anything really people had seen before. For one thing, there was a distinct absence of divinity. Uh, it is mentioned, it is referred to like Cuba Gooding Jr. basically plays this sort of guide he's got in heaven. He's a younger version of his old mentor. Uh, when he was a physician, there was this guy, he didn't have a good relationship with his father, so he looked up to this older doctor who became a father figure to him. He is now the guide who is trying to take him through heaven. Or so you think, we'll go into that later as well. And he explains to him, you know, he's up there watching, he says, when he mentions God, you know, he's like, oh yeah, the God's watching, but it doesn't really go into what religion was right. You know, religion is kind of quite nicely yeah. <laughs> put in the corner and it's like, no, religion's fine. There can be divinity, but we're not going to go into that right now. It's all everyone's interpretation of the afterlife and what you may see before you. And it incorporates elements of various religions and also more new age religions as well. The novel went into those in a more detail, uh, you know, like Wicca and, and that sort of thing. But um, they're all referenced. They're all no one's beliefs really are sidelined, I wouldn't say. No one's beliefs have really gone into in that much depth either. So it is kind of take what you will from it. But uh, yeah, so that is that is the film. Intriguing. I have to say I'm extremely intrigued by that um, summing up. So uh, prosecution, why should I not be? I, I After that, an interesting look at the afterlife. You know, Robin Williams exploring, you know, we know he does have the range to do that. Um, good score, visual script, bit of a classic story, you know, just descent into hell to save your love. And, you know, and, and quite a, a progressive sort of inclusive look at the afterlife as well. So I fail to see where this could go wrong. Uh, who would like to prove me wrong? Well, I, I think that there's a few things wrong with this. And one of them Austin actually highlighted in our little group chat yesterday when he said it, it's very emotionally heavy. I would say like a lot of people will probably see just Robin Williams and think, you know, this is going to be a, maybe a lighthearted film or a rom-com or something along those lines. But it becomes immediately clear and like almost immediately that it, it, it's going to be like a very, very heavy film. And Dave's exactly right when he says it visually and it's very good, but I would liken this to maybe like somebody giving you a sealed iPhone box, you open it up and there's just a poo inside it. <laughs> it's, it's always a shit inside it, isn't it? We know. We're not, whatever it is we begin with. It's everyone can relate inside. to that though, can't they? Like, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, everyone knows what a poo means. Um so yeah, I would I would say that it's all kind of style and no no substance really. The story it might sound like really good and mean and full and that type of thing, but it's just not very well executed. It's over two hours long. And for me, I felt like every minute of that two hours, there's too many kind of suppository scenes, I would say, as well. Um, you know, the whole kind of deal about going back to hell to rescue your love, for me, it just kind of felt a little bit flat because I'm sure that there were many other people in the afterlife who wanted to do the same thing. But obviously, it's a film about Robin Williams's character, and, and that's what you're going to see here. Um, but it, yeah, it all in all i would say it just felt a little bit 
too easy the whole kind of afterlife aspect of it um it felt as though i was watching you know like a dream sequence in a fit in a film that i was thinking was going to end but it, it never really did that was the entire film and i think that was probably one of the downsides of the visuals um in that you know makes you think that it's just going to be like this kind of dream sequence that that ends at some point but it never does um and i think as well the whole kind of heavy nature of the film that the fact that the family's two kids die then he dies then the the wife kills herself it's a very very depressing film you know and i do not enjoy those types of films some people may do um but i don't think it's that obvious as well from you know the title um you know if you don't know anything about the film you may watch this and kind of think you know what, what what's going on you know why, why am i watching a film like this type of thing so i feel like it's maybe a little bit misleading as well in some ways which i suppose it isn't the fault of you know the film itself but maybe how it's been marketed or something like that um because i watched a, a few of the trailers and things like that and although it kind of was marketed at you know maybe like a tragedy it, it doesn't really come across like the weight of you know the decisions and things like that that are made in the film so um yeah all in all i would say all style and very little substances probably what should have been on the dvd case i can see why they didn't but <laughs> <laughs> but uh go on gav you want to you want to join you want to join in the kicking go on. no 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 just just to highlight that i think joel meant superfluous uh, <laughs> and not suppository. No, no, they insert the scenes into you as you are watching. <laughs> if there isn't a scene with Robin Williams in heaven putting suppositories in, then what, what be furious. What version, what version uh, did I watch then? <laughs> How is cum spelt, John? <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Ozzy, uh, I'm going to come to you. You know, it sounds like, the, you know, a bit of a damning thing there was it was two hours long and, you know, quite depressing for two hours long. A bit of the thing I'm thinking in the story is, is there like a sort of point to the story? Is it just sort of like depressing to be depressing? Does it does it sort of come back up at the end? You know, and and also this sort of does it have enough to keep, you know, Dave, what Dave said was very intriguing. But now I'm thinking, well, can that last for two hours? And, you know, Ozzy, what would you say to that? Well, in short, yes. Yes, it can last for two hours. And one of the things actually which um, enticed me to it is that it was only two hours. A lot of the films we've put on trial recently have been way beyond the two-hour mark. Um, you know, The Lord of the Rings was three hours, essentially. You know, it's a tough, tough old watch. This here was like a, a breath of fresh air in comparison. Um, for me, it, it does a hell of a lot. It is stylish. It is colourful. And I did message the group straight off to be like, you know, fucking hell, Dave. The guy's kids have just died within the first 16 minutes. He's he's just about to die. You know, what are we what are we about to watch? But yeah, actually, factually, and his dog as well, it's factually accurate. And his dog <laughs> as well. And um and it, and it's a tough, it's a tough start. And I think what you can really give testament to how to put this in, you do care straight away because you do feel the sadness immediately, like Jesus Christ, this is a it's quite heart-wrenching immediately, and you know that you're in for a ride. But then you you make it into into heaven, you know. You make it into the afterlife, and that's where, and that's like Dave said in the group as well, is that you have to break the eggs to to get to the, you know, to actually get to the meal itself, to get to the omelet, and and that's what what we end up with is that he is um he's in the dream world. You see the paintings, you get so you start to see into his psyche, and 
and he's he's being guided through to the to the uh, to, to the rest of the scenes, and you see lots of throwbacks too. And I think you'd probably appreciate this is actually there's a lot of uh, classics type references and sort of um, different ways of depicting the afterlife, and and it's, it is incredibly well done. And when you think back to this is ninety eight, um, I think it's quite. It was a time where we were seeing a lot of very varied uses of special effects uh, across the zone. I think these guys do it really well. And and Robin Williams is very, very good at playing in um, this type of world. You know, he's, he, he understands how to how to get the most out of something that is a little bit surreal. Um, and you, you very much brought along, uh, you know, you say is two hours too much or is there not enough... Um, and not enough substance to the story. Well, actually, I think that there really is quite a lot of substance. There's a few bits, you know, I, there's a few bits where there's a bit too much talking, but it's actually quite necessary to to get across some of the heavy, uh, heavier moments and some of the philosophical points. So, um, so it is, you know, it, it isn't a laugh a minute, but it does have lighthearted moments and it does end on a on a, on a more pleasant note. So, if you were to have watched this in the cinema, you'd have left feeling more joyous if you watch this you know if you watch this at night actually you're not going to come away dead inside thinking like that was a waste of two hours and jesus christ i'm depressed now it's actually quite an uplifting moment at the end and there's quite a lot to be to be learned from it. i think there's a lot of good uh you know good philosophical points to take away which which is all dressed up within a very beautiful um beautiful film i would say though it's like an action film where like you're loving all of the characters nine of them die brutally and then one of them's still alive at the end so it it kind of says like it's a happy ending but you've also just watched nine other characters die but in this one you'll watch all of the characters die and they'll meet up in the afterlife so you know it's basically a win (laughs) yeah it's fine (laughs) Dave, I want to bring Gavin at some point, but Dave, I can see you want to jump in. Just just quickly, just to bolster what Ozzy was saying there, I, I agree with him entirely. This isn't tragic. There are very sad elements to this. There are tragic elements to it. There are a lot of losses, but there are reunions to every single one of those losses. For every time you lose someone, you will see them again in the afterlife. It's a very positive, uplifting thing. You know, you got the sadness of losing someone, but then there is the reunite, uh, reuniting in the afterlife. He loses his dog. His dog's there in the afterlife. He loses his children. He meets up with them separately. He doesn't even recognize them at first. Doesn't even realize who they are. That's another thing which we'll, just to mention briefly, whether we will go into it or not, the people he meets in the afterlife, they're not who they appear to be at first. You can look like whoever you want to look like in the afterlife. You can appear however you want to appear. He thinks he's speaking to Cuba Gooding Jr., who's a younger version of Albert, his old mentor, kind of his father figure. That's not Albert. It's his son. And it only emerges like later down the film. That was his son speaking to him the whole time because he wanted to help him get the grips with the afterlife quicker. And he was like, Albert was the only man you ever listened to. So that's why he took on the appearance of a younger Albert. And he ha- he's the one who hires a tracker played by Max von Sydow, to help him descend into hell and guide him through there. And it turns out the tracker, the reason why he took the job, is he is Albert, but doesn't look anything like he did in in the life. So he has these reunions with all these people that he cares about. The tragic element, yeah, okay, there's very sad moments to it. It can hit you in in the feels, hit you in the emotions, but there are reunions. And ultimately, at the end of the film, it's a very positive, uplifting ending. And there are very these uplifting moments sewn throughout the film as well. Right, great. Gav, we're talking a lot about the philosophical moments as well, like, you know, a lot of 
you know, what characters are talking about, exploring about the afterlife. It does seem like this would be a film where the script would need to be on point. So anything you got to talk about story, but how is this, how does the script bear up as well? Yeah, so just before any of that, I just want to come back on something that Dave said right at the very beginning there. I think Dave is forgetting that Vincent Ward also directed The Navigator. Let's 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 not just say that Vincent Ward was an unknown. The Navigator was fucking boss. Which one was The Navigator? <laughs> the one about the kids who travel yeah, from the medieval times to the 20th century. In the spaceship as well, right? Yeah. I'm thinking Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> Uh, you know, That's yeah, flight of the navigator. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they find a time portal and they avoid the black plague. And then, oh, they, they I know which to, one you. Yeah, Vincent Ward directed that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, happy days. Yeah, he's he's really good director. <laughs> <laughs> Bear that in mind. Point for the uh, point for the defense there. Yeah, good start, Gav. Gone. Uh, so what I would say is, yeah, your your, your comments about it, it being quite philosophical. It's about it's as philosophical as a hallmark greeting card. The, I would say that it's it's got a very very weak story and that's the biggest problem here we said before the story follows chris and annie nielsen who after the most unbelievable and flimsiest of meat cutes then become the unluckiest characters in all of cinema as ozzy said within the first 15 minutes annie has lost their dog her kids and her husband the thing is is that it is all just a bit too much and it feels incredibly rushed and manufactured there's just no pacing at all it's like the director was yanking at our heartstrings so much they actually snapped them. We have maybe two minutes max, I'd say, of screen time from the Nielsen children before they're killed off screen. Because we're only introduced to these characters very briefly, we don't necessarily feel that attached to them or affected by their deaths. Sorry to sound so cold-hearted, but it's true. Oh, wow. <laughs> You do, you, you do sound cold-hearted, Gav. I didn't care so you know. that those kids died. <laughs> now, also, the decision to completely bypass the four years after their deaths of the Nielsen children and skip straight to the death of Chris as well meant that even if we were upset by the loss of the former, we didn't really have enough time to recover, making Chris's death much less impactful. As the film progresses, we get flashbacks, albeit not enough and all too brief flashbacks of Chris's time with his kids and the devastating impact that the whole thing had on Chris and Annie and their relationship. Now, I believe that if the film just would have been restructured a little bit and if these scenes would have been shown chronologically, then the film would have flowed a lot better and the deaths of these characters would have been much more impactful. But because the film foregoes this storytelling and character development, the film, or at least the first part of it anyway, first half, feels incredibly rushed and disjointed and not as emotionally impactful or dramatic as it could have or should have been. It's almost like it rushes through the story to get to these awesome visuals of Chris's paradise. But then once we get to those scenes, as stunning as they may be, the story sort of dawdles from that point on. It plods along, taking in the beautiful scenery as Annie's depression and grief back on air takes a back burner and Chris realizes after an awkwardly long time, I might add that his kids have also died and that he should be able to see them in paradise. Like it's ridiculous how long it takes him to be like, Oh yeah, my kids are dead as well. Uh, and he's, he's he... playing with his dog. <laughs> <laughs> but here for me is where one of the biggest issues in the film lies. The film treats the Nielsen kids like a bit of an afterthought, their loss and the loss of their relationships, their characters. It feels almost like second fiddle to the love story of Chris and Annie. 
And my main issue with the script, as you alluded to before, Alex, is this sort of pseudo-spiritualistic nonsense that drifts in and out. I would have rather preferred to sort of like hammer its its a flag to the mast of some religion like, instead of just ke- keeping it very sort of ambivalent. It, it's essentially, as Dave said before, it's, a, it's sort of like the tale of Orpheus mixed in with a little bit of the story of Job as well, essentially tests of faith and love. And a great deal of the dialogue is variations of never give up or love will conquer all. And it feels like it belongs on motivational posters of images of sunsets and beaches. It, but at the end of the day, is watching one family be punished over and over again to breaking point supposed to be uplifting or even reaffirming of one's faith? I also found the treatment of suicide in this film, contrary to what Dave was saying, I, I personally found it a little bit outdated and preachy, if I'm honest. You know, it, although it wasn't saying those who commit suicide are damned to hell for eternity, it was sort of showing that as well. And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it's something that I found a bit uncomfortable watching back now, especially after the tragic passing of Robin Williams as well. And then when it comes to the end of the film, Chris sacrifices his time in heaven to be with Annie in hell, which I thought would have, well, essentially been a very dour note to end the film on, but a very brave and impactful one nonetheless. However, we get this top out where he says, I'm going to forego heaven. I'm going to stay with you in hell. And then it turns out it was just a test and both of them are reunited in heaven. So it feels like it was it was all for nothing, basically. And then even then, that's not the real ending because Chris then suggests to Annie that they both reincarnate so that they can be together once again back on earth. So the very final shot of the film is Chris and Annie, well, it's essentially two young children meeting on a beach and we are led to believe it's presumably the reincarnated Annie and Chris meeting each other for the first time. And once again, I'm sort of like, Chris, what about your kids, mate? His kids take like like a side seat for the entirety of the film to focus on this love story, which also Annie feels a bit like a secondary figure in as well. It seems to just be the focus is, is just on Chris. So all in all, exactly what Joel said earlier. It's all style, no substance for me. Dave, it, it sounds a bit overwrought. The story is a bit weak. Um, Tragedy is actually a bit shallow than the way it's used and then sort of just eked out over the next two hours where, you know, this sort of, Gav said, pseudo-spiritualistic nonsense uh, it doesn't really keep it together. And, and and a few things are updated, you know, using suicide as sort of jeopardy within the film doesn't sort of sit right these days. So a few flaws in the film, perhaps. Mm. Uh, I will admit that the uh, the film is not perfect by any means, but I'd say some of these aren't, aren't particularly major flaws. I've already explained the suicide point, and I know what Gav's mean. It does feel, it it does leave a bad taste in the mouth. The idea of, you know, someone who loses their battle with their mental health and, you know, takes their own life is is condemned to hell. That yeah, that's an awful way of looking at it, and, and that's not something we uh, we support at all these days. But the film, like I say, it doesn't punish, and it makes it quite clear that people aren't being punished. And it actually diluted the message from Richard Matheson's original book. In his book, you don't have a choice but to reincarnate. That's kind of like that's the natural order. You must reincarnate. This film makes it a choice whether you wish to reincarnate or not. In the book, however, Annie is given no choice and she's actually not allowed into heaven with Chris. Although he saves her soul from from hell, she is instantly reincarnated because as Richard Matheson puts it in the book, she's not ready for heaven. 
the filmmakers thought that's not a particularly that's not the message they want to send out here that's not the way they want to people to be thinking about those who have mental health problems or those who take their own lives so they took that away and she is allowed into heaven so i think the film has actually dealt with quite a tricky issue that maybe richard matheson had quite an old-fashioned view on and it's actually corrected one of his viewpoints there so i think the film did the right thing it made quite a few changes to his uh to his book in fact and he wasn't happy about all of them but i did read uh Roger Corman mentioned about Richard Matheson. It was like, always be sure to film his last draft. He did not like adaptations. He didn't like people tweaking his work. And the producers really believed in this film. They spent years trying to get a studio to take it up, but they had to compromise a few things and change a few things about Richard Matheson's book, that being one of them. Uh, so I think they made the right call. I don't think the, the pacing of the film is a problem. Time is is kind of a theme. You know, Cuba Gooding Jr. says at one point, you know, time... Uh, a human life is just a heartbeat in heaven. You know, that's one of the, the key quotes that people remember from the film. And it's like, you know, time is sort of linear, but then you get these flashbacks and the flashbacks are queued up at exactly the right moment to understand the background of the character and the emotional weight. When Robin Williams is trying to remind his wife of the life they had in hell and trying to uh, help Annie remember, he talks about their D-Day. And throughout the film, they mention, oh, it's D-Day, it's D-Day, it's, uh, oh, it's our D-Day anniversary. You have no idea what this is until the flashback towards the end of the film where he basically, at her request, has had the divorce papers drawn up. This is after the deaths of their children. They've been struggling to cope. Um, and he has the divorce papers there ready for them to sign. And he says, you know, I suppose it's uh, divorce day or delivery day, whatever it is. And she calls it decision day. And ultimately, the decision she makes is to keep working on their marriage and to stay together. So they made that their new anniversary. So that's what D-Day is. All these flashbacks are queued up to explain the characters, to explain their motivation. And it's queued up at the right time. If it was too linear, that's when it would get dull. That's when your pacing would struggle so i think they made the right call then as well um again i dispute that this is tragic although there are a lot of losses there are a lot of happy reunions um and yet some people like motivational posters some people need motivational posters uh, <laughs> so, so i quite liked it and you know in terms of like pinning your, your flag to the mast on on a terms of religion i'm so pleased they didn't because i was actually looking through some of the reviews i ahead of a film I always read some of the negative reviews if I'm defending it. So I've got an idea of what might come up. And some of the negative reviews I saw really irked me for this one. Like one of them says here, uh, I mean, what is heaven without God? It looked more like hell than a movie about heaven. Pushes reincarnation and plays down the beauty of eternity and living forever in the presence of God's love. They gave it a terrible review purely because it didn't fit in with their idea of what heaven was. What is this one? Totally inaccurate portrayal of heaven and hell. The lack of a maker makes it unacceptable. This is against what Jesus the Christ taught us. He's just like... <laughs> and, yeah. Did you print these off, Dave? I yeah, yeah, I did. I like, oh, <laughs> oh, it's just like, no one better bring just up. So can... This is exactly why we don't pin our flag to the mask. Uh, yeah, because you end up. I'm, I'm going to put it on the hit list just to fuck them up. Fuck them up <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. These people themselves have you could you could say have been alienated from the film, but I think it, there are far fewer people that will be alienated by making it more universal by not honing in on one particular region, by taking elements of all of them. I mean, ultimately, it's a Western film. You know, the, it, the allusion to God, it would fit in quite nicely with Christianity or Judaism or Islam, you know, or, you know, the, the Western religions, basically. So, yeah, although it leans into that a little, that's because it's a Western film. It just, it's, appeal, it's an English language film. It's appealing to its majority audience. But at the same time, it's not pinning its flag to a mask. And I'm grateful that it did. 
Um, and I, I think that's everything. <laughs> wow. Uh, very comprehensive, Dave. Right. I think it's time to move on to cast and characters. Joel, any feelings? Like we've got Robin Williams here. You know, it's not his normal. It's not exactly. It doesn't sound like he's doing his ma- Mrs. Doubtfire using oh. the hands to pop out his, <laughs> his uh, you know, his, his flaming boobies. I'm guessing he's doing it slightly different this, this time. How does he do? Um, I think I think it's very very hard to dislike Robin Williams, isn't it? No matter what what he really does, he always kind of brings like a kind of genuine soul felt you know performance really no matter what he's portraying and uh, that comes across here as well um and to be honest i I didn't really have like any um irks or anything like that with with the performances but i think the characters were were fairly weak you know as gav says like he kind of forgets about his children especially at the end of the film and the characters especially i think some of them get too little screen time some of them get too much i would say although robin williams is the main character who probably gets a little bit too much dialogue so i think it's it's a case that the casting is mostly good but the characters themselves are are fairly weak and i think probably what doesn't help it is the whole kind of tone of the film and, and what they're trying to set out to achieve and i think as well like gav touched on it but just to kind of read a review that or recall a review that I saw, sorry, that it was saying like each scene kind of looked like it had been taken from the front of a rock or a metal album. And after I read that, I just couldn't get that out of my head. So it's a weird thing to say, but I think the the visuals don't help the characters in the end because you kind of distracted a little bit. Um, But I think uh, Gav's probably got some more opinions on that as well. I bet he does. He often does. I'm going to go to Ozzy, though. Ozzy, it sounds like, you know, Jill sort of said the cast was pretty good, but now he's having a go. He's saying, well, the characters, you know, the cast can do as good a job as they want, but if you're not interested in the characters, are they interested? I think very, very interesting, in actual fact. You you really get to see, and I think this leads into what Dave was saying and the counter to, to Gavs, if you told it linearly. The flashbacks are what help bring it out. I think when... Gav like alluded to before that there's no there's no um development of the characters there there are there is a lot of, of development throughout and it, and it's it's teased at and I think that's kind of you know I can understand Joel's uh, argument that some people don't get too much screen time and you know I don't think they need it you don't need you don't need to see some of these children when you've seen them die you don't need to see the rest of it you can understand the feeling of the two characters that that is a major, major traumatic time and is going to affect their relationship, which we are then fed throughout the film. And I think it, it, I think there is a lot of really good development and you don't need to see the changes on screen to understand the issues. You know, we're, we, we were hinting that you don't see very much of it, of his wife. Um, so when you find out that she killed herself, that's hard hitting. That's another moment. That was an almost me messaging Dave again to say, Bloody hell, Dave. Now now she's committed suicide. What am I, you know, what am I getting involved with? It really is hard hitting, just as you thought we were getting to a, almost like a resolution where we, we can understand that eventually he's going to meet up with her again. You find this out and it's it's like a roller coaster of, of emotions throughout there. It really does tug and I think it's because the characters are building throughout and you're seeing these little touches. You see the way that she's been dealing with the grief and, and the way he's dealing with grief feeds into that it's you can understand the character's through that there is development 
And I think the way um, the emotions are portrayed is real testament to the actors. It was absolutely brilliant uh, in terms of the acting. That really helped sell it. The visuals are beautiful, but the acting really does sell it. You know, like like Joel said, you can't fault a film. When Robin Williams is, is on his own game, it's very, very difficult to, to, to not enjoy it. Okay, great. Gav, cast characters, where are you on this? Now, unfortunately, I do not think that this is Robin Williams on his A game. And <laughs> I, I do want to say right now, before I go into this, I think Robin Williams is a fantastic actor. However, at this point in his career, he was going through this transition from this energetic and wild comic performer to this serious dramatic actor. And although he had delivered nuanced dramatic performances in previous films like Dead Poets Society and Goodwill Hunting, I felt in this he was a little too serious. And I think that's because he's been told to, to be that way, essentially. I know it's understandably a more serious film in comparison because it's talking about death and the afterlife, but it was almost like he was holding back a little bit. There's none of the sort of like the subtle comedy and kindness behind the seriousness with maybe the exception of the scene where he's dealing with a patient earlier on. But it, it just felt to me like he was a little bit restrained almost like he was trying to present a character that was completely devoid of all of the qualities and the traits that we love in William's characters. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it was a little bit disappointing for me. And I think that that is probably what a lot of other audience members thought that, you know, they've seen Robin Williams in dramatic performances and this felt a little bit restrained somehow. I will just echo exactly what Joel said. I think the cast is really, really good. I think they give really good performances, but their characters are just very, very weak. Annabella Sciorra, who plays Annie in this, she gives a really great performance, especially when her character is experiencing grief and emotional turmoil. But the character of Annie Nielsen herself is incredibly poor. The first 10 minutes, her only character trait is that she laughs at everything that Chris says. It's almost like her character is there simply to remind the audience just how funny Robin Williams is. It's completely vapid. Then her character doesn't really grow or develop at all, really. We get glimpses of her descent into depression in the background of the film whilst Chris is in paradise. Then she kills herself and is lost in hell with no memory, no way to communicate with Chris. So we don't really get any growth there. And then at the end of the film, oh, she's back to normal, but uh, the film's over, so it doesn't matter. This film is ultimately a love story, but it's all told through Chris's perspective. And Annie feels like a secondary player in her own love story. Then you've got Cuba Gooden Jr., who is great, but his character is weak. Once again, his performance also goes up to 11 at some times. And I think maybe that was an intentional ask by the director to juxtapose the low energy performance of Williams. Once again, reiterating that, <laughs> that I, I'm not doubting Williams' superb acting skills. I just think that he's been told to restrict his performance a little. I would like to counter what Dave was saying before. You know, all of these surprise reunions throughout the film, I don't think are as impactful as they could be. I think, in fact, they're all a bit of a letdown because all of these characters that were introduced then turn out somehow to be his relatives or people that he knows. So you spend 90% of this film thinking that Cooper Gooding Jr. is Chris's old medical teacher and then it turns out that it's his son in disguise because as dave said he thought chris would be more receptive to guidance from his old teacher not from his son so that sort of reunion 
is really rushed because Chris is just on his way to hell and he's like, oh, sorry, I've got to go. Uh, you know, gives him a little hug. See you later, son. It just feels like if it was his son all throughout or if he would have had that reveal a little bit earlier, it would have been a bit better. Same thing again with his daughter. There's a section of the film where Chris is walking around this uh, idyllic landscape with an Asian lady called Leona. It is then revealed that Leona is actually Chris's daughter, Mary, in the guise of an Asian lady, because Chris was in Mary's company, saw an Asian lady once, and remarked, Asian ladies are really beautiful. And so his daughter decided to take on is the that, guise. Is that, is that a direct quote? Pretty much verbatim. <laughs> is, that, is that Robin Williams turns to his child and says, Asian women are beautiful in What Dreams May Come? maybe it's not verbatim but it's, yeah. it's more or less more or less what he said right okay so i'll, I'll read between it, the lines there it makes yeah. it just a bit a bit weird it's like why did she decide to take on this form to spend the time with the dad why did, couldn't she just be herself yeah. similarly you know we've got max von sidoff's character of the tracker which the writer, writer or director felt that we needed another shock reveal so we're told that we've got Chris's old medical teacher for 90% of the film, but then it's like, oh, actually, no, it's his son. And then, you know, that character's not here. Oh, actually, yeah, no, Max von Sydow, that's your teacher. It's almost like, did that really need to be a surprise? It felt like they kind of wrote themselves into a corner there by saying that Cuba Gooding Jr. was the teacher all along. And it just also, it, it just raised a few questions for me. You know, if you can appear as however you want, when Cuba Gooding Jr. initially appeared, and said, I've decided to take on the form of a 30-year-old because who wants to be a 68-year-old, which is when you knew me. You've you got to ask yourself, why would Chris's old African-American teacher decide to take on the form of an old white Swedish man? I, I just I just don't know. It's just, it's just bizarre. And then, because he was in the cinema years ago and his mum remarked to him, <laughs> Max von Sydow's heart. And he thought ever since then. <laughs> and, and, and finally, I just want to say about Cuba Gooden Jr.'s character in more detail. It's, it's also famous, the character itself, as part of a rise of this cinematic trope uh, that Spike Lee uh, came up with, essentially, which relates to a black character who seems only to exist to selflessly teach a white person various life le lessons with little or no regard to his own needs, interests, or character development. Lee singled out this movie along with three others that were released around the same time, The Family Man, The Legend of Bagger Vance, and The Green Mile. And Lee joked, how is it that black people have these powers, but they use them to the benefit of white people? And I'd say, I don't necessarily think that that's like as much of an issue within this film, because I think all of the characters feel more like secondary supporting players guiding the main character along. But I do think that it is indicative of how poor and it's insubstantial these supporting characters are throughout the film. Okay, damning stuff. Uh, Dave, on the cast, you know, I know you like you like your cast in a film. I do like my cast. Is this in a, a film. big draw for? Is it just Robin, or is there more to it? Oh, there's so much more to it. This it's a very small cast, I have to say, very small. Probably even fewer characters because everybody's playing everybody else, as Gab said. But it's a very small cast. But every every single one of them is completely on point. 
Robin Williams is fantastic. He proved that he could do serious just as well as he could do comedy. And his emotional range in this is absolutely fantastic. You know, he has the, uh, the, the, there's a kind of a strong sadness to him with the tragic losses in his life, this sheer euphoria in the afterlife when he has these reunions. Um, the anger as well, you know, when he has the misunderstanding over is Annie being punished for taking her own life, the way he rallies against Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, who's trying to explain it to him, the fury that we see from him then, you know, the full spectrum of emotions are displayed by Robin Williams here. The fear, you know, even though the descent into hell with the the, the ship graveyard and the sea of souls is is terrifying. Uh, the the real fear we see when he meets um it's it's a cameo from Werner Herzog, actually. There's this Brilliant. sea of yeah, yeah. It's a Come on, Dave. Cameo. You, it's you a very kept memorable that, you kept cameo. That little ace of your sleeve, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a sea of faces on his way into hell. There's just these people that are like buried up to the face, and that is all that's exposed, looking out in this sea of darkness. And he's got to like be careful as he steps, make sure he doesn't step on anyone's face as he goes. But that's these people's torment. This is their hell. And he comes across Werner Herzog. And there's this moment where they have a, they have a brief chat for a moment. There's something in Robin Williams's eyes. You're like, what's what scared him so much? And he ends the conversation with, "You're not my father." And it's like he's recognised Werner Herzog as the the father figure. Yeah, his his father he had such a strained relationship with. Um, the other performances are fantastic. Max von Sydow as the tracker, and and then later revealed to be Albert Lewis. It's it's a comforting role. That's why Max von Sydow was cast there. He's in hell, and who better to guide you through it than a a quiet, restrained, dignified authority figure. That's what Max on side off brings yeah, to yeah, that that's, character. That's who I want. He's the guy who keep you grounded and like will try and get you through this as best he can. Cuba Gooding Jr. is fantastic. He has this great energy to him, perfectly balancing with Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams. <laughs> it's like Gary Barlow and Robbie Williams. And it's like Cuba Gooding Jr. And his, yeah, like, and he his... did think about angels, to be fair. He did, he did, to be fair to him. His balanced performance alongside that of Robin Williams, you know, his his more nuanced emotional performance with the joy and aspects. But I think the best performance of the lot is Annabella Sciorra. She goes through the emotional ringer in this one, you know, where whereas Robin Williams has his tragic moments, he then has the uh, the ecstasy moments of meeting his family and being reunited. She's she's in hell for a long time before she actually dies. She's in real emotional turmoil, and she plays every note of it just with heart-wrenching believability. Annabella Sciorra is just fantastic in this, absolutely brilliant. And I would say, even though Robin Williams is great, she almost rivals him, I'd say, for performance at the piece. The, the cast are phenomenal and i think the characters to be fair i think the issue that we've got with the characters is that you're not actually sure who you're talking to because the character's identity sort of shifts and there's a reason for it and it's all explained it's all perfectly clear but i think because you think you're speaking to albert lewis and then as gav says later on no this is actually robin williams's son a lot more starts to make sense these actors knew who they were playing as the film goes on. And they kept all this in the back of their minds with all their performances. It's, it's relevant. It makes sense. And these flashbacks you have, he had a, a strained relationship with his son, like he had a strained relationship with his father. And that's all explained in flashbacks. And maybe that's why he's not really questioning why his son hasn't come to see him straight away in the afterlife. They didn't end things on, on particularly good terms. They never really had particularly good terms. These explanations, these, the stories behind the characters, if you went into it in any more depth, the film is going to be three, four hours long. They give you enough and you can piece together the rest. These emotions and these family connections are so real, so relatable. You don't need them 
to fill in the gaps as much as as much as you might think. It's all out out there, and you can interpret it. And chances are, you're going to interpret it right. Okay, good stuff. Um, lovely arguments from everyone. Uh, I'm also surprised that it took us so long to figure out the impression in a film that has Werner Herzog in. I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot that about really that. is that really is a no brainer, guys. Come on. Um, <laughs> I think it's time for final points. Um, Ozzy, any points you need to make before this wraps up? Um, it was a, a brand new way of presenting the afterlife. I don't think it had been seen before. I don't really think it's been seen since or dealt with since in the same way. For me, I think it's, it's got a lot of depth to it. Um, and, and it was actually a very genuinely good watch. Thank you very much. Uh, Joel? If you enjoy being depressed as fuck, then you're gonna love this. If you, if... We're both we're both little goths, weren't we, Rachel? So you know. If you don't, then don't watch it. Thanks, Joel. Very succinct. Uh, I'll I'll go away and really think about that tonight and come up with an answer for you, uh, Gav. So this is like a beautiful visage fails to hide a thin plot and poorly written characters. It's like a Goya painting on toilet paper. The director <laughs> the director wants us to feel I'd be like impressive Chris... though to be fair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Couldn't handle it. Uh, the director wants us to feel like Chris Nielsen spending hours mesmerized by these endless layers of wet paint, but instead we feel like we're just watching it dry. Oh, oh. Dave, he's oh. Oh. Have you got anything, Dave, to come back on that? Not as not a good a singer as that. No, I'm not even going to try. Um, all I will say is that this film does not deserve the reputation that it's unfairly accrued for itself. This is a beautiful film, both visually and in terms of the themes that it is dealing with. It is profound. It is bittersweet. And it still manages to be uplifting. At the end of this film, you're not feeling depressed or, or hard done by. This is a still very positive film a very uplifting film no matter what your thoughts about the afterlife may be or whether there is one or not this is a very reassuring film in many ways gentle if it weren't for the such tragic elements that drive its story forward uh, i think it's it's a solid adaptation uh and yeah i i think people are far far too harsh on this film it's a solid watch thank you very much guys uh, i think it's quiz time it certainly is and since this is the start of guilty pleasure season oh god <laughs> what I've done is made a quiz all about pleasure <laughs> <laughs> and the guilt that you feel after it's here today. <laughs> uh, so, so this is a quiz of two parts actually so it's, a, it's about films that uh, I enjoy essentially but the first part you've got to finish the quotes so I, I haven't gotten too obscure with any of these films so they'll put your main screen um, so eight questions finish the quotes so number one big dick player oh no i'm stuck no, oh my god <laughs> i thought this one was an easy one but maybe not it's swinging past your knees it's from uh, uh, tropic thunder tropic thunder uh, yeah uh... um okay number two this one i need there's like two sentences. I need both the sentences that okay. come after this because the first one is quite easy. It's over, Anakin. I have a higher ground. I'm going to cut your limbs off and leave it to her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you that unless you can finish it, Dave. Um, no, it's, 
That's not where he screams, you're not, you were supposed to be the chosen one or something like that, was it? Yeah. It is. You. So Obi-Wan says, I have the higher ground, and Anakin says, you underestimate my power. And then he chops his legs off and he says, but I didn't today. <laughs> <laughs> you underestimated the higher Your ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay, underestimated so... this very slight incline, didn't you? A lot of these, by the way, I should have said, are, are, are like famous quotes. So some of them are like memes, that type of thing. Uh, so number three, one of you must do this. We've recently reviewed one of these films. Yeah, I know. I know the film. Um, uh, something about potatoes. <laughs> no, but you're, you, it's the right film. Just it's, the it's Lord of the Rings, but well, think think of the Lord of the Rings memes. Oh, yeah. This is the biggest one. Who will? I will. And my axe. <laughs> I'll do it. No, I can't remember. It, it's it's Boromir saying it. Sean Bean. Say it, say it again. Say it again. One of you must do this. And then Boromir chips in. He's like, he's like, this, this is madness. This cannot be done. One does okay. not simply walk into the There you go, Dave. There you, you go, Dave. Yeah. Lovely. With yeah, the accent well as well. <laughs> okay, this one's a little bit harder, but keep the sand out of your weapons. Keep those actions clear. I hate sand. It's coarse and it gets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I'll give you a clue. It is, it's got Tom Hanks in it. I know it's Saving Private Ryan, but I just can't complete the quote. Ah! This is maybe harder than I thought. It's, uh, and I'll see you on the beach. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's that guilty pleasure. <laughs> Oscar it's, winning it's, film. It's, it's why he likes watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I, feel, I feel guilty. Because yeah. <laughs> I get pleasure out of watching it. That's why. He turns oh. it off after the beach and pretends that they didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to see it where Vin Diesel dies. That's it. Yeah. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. Bam. You go and completely redeem yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like That's yeah, it. But, yeah. But, you didn't buzz in, Bruce, so you got minus five. Oh. <laughs> um, okay, that is the sound of inevitability. That is the sound of your death. Oh, it's Matrix. Uh, There's three words that come after it. Is that from Avengers? This is the sound of inevitability. What is it? This is the sound of inevitability. That is the sound of your death. I'll give you the exact... Mr. Thing. Anderson. It's something... Uh, fuck yeah, you, Mr. Okay, Anderson. Okay, I'll give you that. Goodbye, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Anderson. Yeah. Bye, Mr. Anderson. Uh, so, Brucey, that question was actually a booby question. And it was <laughs> booby <worth> question? <laughs> <laughs> How much do you get for a booby question? <laughs> minus seven points. Oh. Minus eight points, and it's on its That's side. That's like a suppository question. <laughs> 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 okay, so... It's me being a hypocrite, is what it is. So you know what? Me being do it in the accent. Yeah, I'm, I'm really bad at accents, Ozzy. Yeah, that's why I wanted you to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I, know. I know what you to do. So. It's me being a hypocrite. No. <laughs> so Danny so DeVito. <laughs> it's Leonardo DiCaprio. There's the clue. It's me being a hypocrite. Think of one of his most famous quotes. It's a meme. Wolf of yeah. Wall Street? It is the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh. I thought with that accent it was Gangs of New York. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're both set in New York. 
Say the say the quote again. What's the what's a memorable quote? In- I ain't going anywhere. I'll give you that, Gavin. I'm not fucking leaving. Okay. Uh, good enough. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so this one, hopefully, you will get. Okay, let me ask you this one time. What master do you serve? Who does number two work for? <laughs> <laughs> so here's another clue. That is Iron Man asking Star-Lord. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh. If you get oh, it Jesus. remotely close, I'll give yeah, there you. Go, yeah. He says, what master do I serve? Am I supposed to say Jesus? <laughs> okay, so I think Brucey lost that because he's on minus five, but <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Austin won that one. Hey, hey well done. Well done, Austin. Because you got one right. And Dave, Gav and Dave both got a few right, but some of those were also worth minus points. So. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. It's nice to win, no matter how they come. <laughs> right. Thanks, guys. It was a very interesting trial. It gave me a lot to think about. Um, I'll just go through what my uh, pros and cons were. I'll, I'll start with the cons. It did maybe sound like quite a big film, quite long quite sentimental and if i'm honest I, I would think when i'm watching it maybe in times a bit shallow in its sentimentality maybe it's not like got huge amounts of depth when it's going into these and yet having quite tragic circumstances so i can see there's a little bit of a little bit of tension there like i say quite long and you know some of the supporting characters do sound a bit weak and maybe after all of this quite overwrought drama the point you know just keep going and don't give up and stuff like that and you'll all be reunited maybe it's a a little bit meh but looking at the pros good cast you know it does sound like robin williams you know gav was saying that he was restrained but i don't oh that sort of made me think well of him to be honest i mean i'd be interested when i watch it but i think this film does you know you don't want patch adams in what dreams may come so i'm quite glad that maybe (laughs) it was a bit more of a restrained uh, robin williams and the rest of the cast sounded pretty good if maybe their characters could have been fleshed out. It does sound like an interesting look at the afterlife, you know, especially you know, Dave was uh, saying, you know, it's got no no divinity. It's looking at lots of different religions. It sounds quite an inclusive look. So I think like quite a lot of people, no matter their religion, could at least access this film. And I think everyone said that it's got really, really good, great visuals, even for today. And, you know, it does have a point. It might not be the best point, but it does have a point. I think the fact that the tone was quite depressing and everyone said it was depressing, well, it sounds like it's trying to be depressing. So it kind of, you know, it's got that emotional effect on people. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And for me, I think the thing that clinched it was, I just think this is too interesting a premise and too interesting a film to put on the shit list. That just seems too sad. And I'd also say that, Dave, if you were lying this time, I just, I don't think I know you anymore. So, you know, I mean, I, I think you genuinely felt very strongly about this film and did a very good job at defending it. So, yeah, it's going on the hit list. Thank you very much for the summary there, Alex. So let's start off with Dave. Dave, was this as good as you remembered? Did you believe everything he said? It wasn't as good as I remembered. You son of a bitch. But but (laughs) I didn't lie at any point. I actually do stand by everything I said. However, that is not to say that some of the points that Gav mentioned that I glossed over were not accurate. You know, Gav and Joel did raise a few points. The the characters weren't fleshed out. I disagree. I really do. And, And I've countered a lot of these points. But Gav says it's got quite a weak plot. Yeah. Yeah, it is a little bit of a weak plot. And Gav says the pacing is off. 
Yeah, the pacing's a little off, to be honest. And there was a question, a rhetorical question that you asked, Alex. Um, intriguing, but can that last for two hours? No, it can't last for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a better film than people give it credit for. And I do think it's on the right list. Like you say, for, for simply being so unique, I think it deserves points for trying. You know, it mm -hmm. adapted a book that was damn near impossible to adapt and I had a good go at it. And, you know, I was reading a lot of reviews about this film. There were some weird ones, some crank ones that I had to bring up there, but there's a lot of positive ones in there. And a lot of people saying how this film has actually really made an impact on them. You know, when they were going through a dark time themselves, this film actually alleviated some of that for it. It gave them a lot of positives to think about. And reading some of these reviews, it was actually like, you know, there's not many films that actually do have that impact on people. Um, so there's got to be something about this, right? It's not for everyone. It is very much um, an imperfect film. It, there's a lot of flaws. You know, Gavin and Joel weren't bullshitting either. But um, I do think it's on the right list, just about. It certainly deserves points for trying. And it is a pretty special film, certainly in terms of how unique it is. Thank you very much for that, Dave. Thanks for your honesty there. Ozzy, what did you think? Oh, it was. I thought everything that you guys said was very truthful. I think it's on the right list, but only because I think it is was groundbreaking at the time. But it, like, uh, yeah, I lied a bit when I said did it sustain the two hours. Um, think if maybe if it had been a different mindset, it might have done. But it's tough from the off. And while there's lots, there's some really good bits in it, and some very pretty bits in it. But uh, I'm not entirely sure if I enjoyed it or not. I, I do think it's on the right list, but I'm not sure if I enjoyed it. Okay, thank you very much, Ozzy. Joel? Yeah, I probably would have put it on the other list just because I think it's a really, really tough watch. Uh, I think maybe I even underplayed it in the first half an hour. The kids die and then everyone else dies. And like, like I said, I just don't think I was prepared for that. And then I was also waiting for like the payoff at the end and by the payoff I mean maybe like an uplifting ending and although you know they reunited at the end I didn't really feel like it was an it was an uplifting ending either and I also kind of strongly agree with what I said about the whole kind of film feels like a dream sequence like I was kind of waiting for this to end and for it to like maybe move on to something else and it just doesn't after the film um so yeah I, I can see both sides I, I do think it's a unique film but I think for, for me, it would have been a shit list, but I would say like, you know, fair play for, for giving it a go. Thanks, Joel. So I actually loved this film when it first came out and I haven't watched it back since. And I watched it the other night with Siobhan and she lasted 17 minutes. Mm -hmm. And she said that the character of Annie was completely vapid. And if she's going to be like that throughout the film, she's not going to keep on watching. And <laughs> also <laughs> the whole thing about like, it's just death after death after death. It's just, this is just a bit ridiculous now, which I do think was an element that was talking about. The pacing is a little off. I would have liked just a little bit of, of a gap between the Nielsen kids passing and then Chris's death as well, or, or maybe a little bit more time spent looking at the family unit before the kids died, it just felt a little bit rushed to me. It felt like, as I said before, they were rushing to get to the more visually stunning parts. But then, I, you know, a lot of what I was saying was bullshit. But <laughs> but I, I think that 
it, they're valid points for somebody else, but I I genuinely thought it was a really good film, to be honest. Even, I think even second time round, you liked it. Yeah, second time round, I, I did like it. I, I do think I, I agree with what Dave was saying. Some of the things I, I, I was saying about the plot being a little thin. I do also think that some of the characters are a little thin as well, and I I, I personally found it less impactful that his children were pretending to be other people, essentially disguised as other pe- people. I thought that their reunion then was a little less impactful as it could have been but overall i thought it was visually stunning i thought the scene when they got to hell was for me one of the best visions of hell i've seen in a film i thought it was amazing and the bit with Werner herzog as well where he realizes that it's not his dad that was like a, a bit that it made me jump a little bit i was like oh god you know like yeah and and uh i, Can I, you do I an really... impression of what he says and sounds like he's like oh. he's, he's like oh I, I, I'm your dad. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good Robin you've got there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. But anyway, that that's that. Uh, is did it score higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was maybe one of the highest rated Rotten Tomatoes films of all time? <laughs> Top Gun Maverick, which scored a whopping ninety six and ninety nine percent audience, also critical and audience respectively. I reckon. <laughs> high 50s low 60s okay yeah it's got it's going to be lower on both counts i think the critics savaged this film Mm -hmm. absolutely savaged it but i think over time the audience might have pulled it back so i think audience won't be won't be that bad but i think critics is going to be bad well great summary to be honest because yeah you're right 52 percent critical so yeah Quite quite low, but eighty four percent audience, which is much Shit. higher than I thought it was going to be. So that is yeah. A ha- yeah, that's actually better than I thought. So. And you know what? I I am genuinely genuinely interested to see what Alex thinks about this film as well, mm. because and I don't want to like get my knife out and really really force open some old wounds here, but it did have a little bit of a feel of <laughs> don't say it don't fucking <laughs> say it Gav don't okay, fucking say it no go on go on you've 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 begun tree of life <laughs> is this the film that's going to bring me and Dave finally yes. finally it's going to heal the rift yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. To be or honest with you, make it wider. I think probably. Oh, yeah, probably. Wider. yeah, let's see. What <laughs> yeah, this is probably. low. It's better than Tree of Life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Paths of Glory is like straining across the abyss. Yes. Trying, <laughs> we, trying we'll, to... we'll always have that. Tape. Yeah. We'll always have that. Trying to reach out to twelve <laughs> angry men. <laughs> 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 so thank you very much guys for all of your arguments and Alex for your judging there and thank you very much to everybody who has listened to this episode we really do appreciate it if you guys want to check out more Films on Trial content go to filmsontrial.co.uk check us out on all of the socials at Film Trials on Twitter Films on Trial and everything else and check us out on any podcasting platform so our Guilty Pleasures season continues in two weeks time when it is my turn to pick a film and I'm going to punish you all and pick the 2004 action fantasy sci-fi film Doom. That's right. <laughs> We're putting Doom <laughs> on trial and I can't wait. <laughs> Guaranteed shitless material. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have we learned today? Well, we've learned that some of the plot points in What Dreams May Come may have to be administered rectally and that <laughs> <laughs> it's better to have Werner Herzog's decapitated head in a film than have his whole body not in a film. <laughs> and ultimately, that What Dreams May Come is a hit list film, and we're going to be back in your ears in two weeks' time with Doom. Goodbye. 
Yeah, I thought that was a good episode considering, you know, it's quite uh, uh, heavy. Heavy. Yeah. Heavy film. Well, we didn't do what we normally do and start talking about Rob Williams' cock in it as well. (laughs) I was tempted. (laughs) Yeah, there there wasn't a a good opportunity. There isn't a a plot point centred around Rob Williams' cock. Unfortunate. It's a shame. It's a shame.